0: Freddie Williams. This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Monty B. And Christine O'Leary. Hi, this is Kevin Van Hi, this is Libra Mayo. Hi, this is Brian Azraeli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson.
1: Hey, this is uh, Will Percoccio. This is Adam Beachin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast.
0: Hello everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe comic podcast, episode number one twenty four point two. I'm your host Dustin, and joining me today is it's Carlos Danger. No, it's Donovan. This is uh and we are bringing you the latest comic book news and comic book reviews from the from the week of September eighth through September fourteenth. We have a total of five books we'll be covering on this episode. And before we begin, I just want to remind everybody that this podcast is sponsored by Tweaked Audio. If you head over to the website and there is a banner at the top of the page, if you are looking for some new earbuds, I implore you to check out tweakedaudio.com. If you use the promo code TBUSaves at checkout, you'll get 33% off your entire order plus free worldwide shipping. So if you're interested in headphones, I suggest you check out tweaked Audio. Uh like I said, there's a little bit of news we have. Uh the first bit of news we've got is on September 9th. DC C- Comics released the new creative team for Batwoman. Uh we talked about Batwoman very extensively in the last podcast, but uh as it turns out they are going to be the new team of Mark and Draco and Jeremy Hahn. We'll actually begin with issue 25, which means um we only have one more issue with J. H Williams, W Hayden Blackman and the artists that would be joining them. But uh, Williams and Blackman are off the book as of issue 24. So thoughts on whether or not they'll be able to actually finish their story in that short time frame.
2: I don't like Jer- – um, Jeremy Hahn's not my favorite of the artists that's working in D.C., and that might be because of my <laughs> my bitter feelings from the Red Hood Lost Days miniseries. But even, even even as I was going on, I didn't really care for his art, so I'm not really jazzed about going from Trevor – going from Tre- Trevor McCarthy to him. Um, th- those are like the extent of my feelings. I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of like mournful over the situation as a whole, but like uh, I'm not crazy about Jeremy Hahn, but um, that's as far as it goes there.
1: Um, I don't know. I mean, those of us that have been reading Batwoman, this is only going to be one issue to tie up their entire arc. Um, I don't think that they're going to be able to fit it all in in one issue, to be totally honest with, us, with you. Uh, I think they needed a couple. Um, just from where the cliffhanger ended in the last you know the last episode of Batwoman that we reviewed to the point five, so I don't think they're gonna wrap it up, but i'm I'm just quietly hoping that they will uh, will uh get the Gail Simone treatment and they'll be back on an issue number twenty eight
0: uh, <laughs> I am positive at this point that there's no way that they're gonna be able to wrap everything up because at this uh, since this announcement came so late and when I say late, I'm comparing it to the fact that. It came so early in the month of September that issue 24 was probably already done, already in the can, ready to go to the printers, uh, to prep for the release of, to prep for the release of in October. So, with that being said, I can, I highly doubt that they're going to be able to wrap anything up unless the story arc was intended to end in 24, which I don't believe it was.
2: No, no, it was, it was supposed to like go on I, I I'm not sure how long it was supposed to go on, but like by all accounts, this is a very truncated ending because of you know, like this whole thing is is like is like very very um uh what's the word I'm looking for like sudden I this this whole thing this, there's no plan for this to end where it's supposed to so there's I, I imagine the the ending may be rushed due to that or as as it's going going it's going to just feel like it's going to be cut off.
1: Well, you know, and that's the problem I have with it is. The one thing about Batwoman that's neither good nor bad, depending on your point of view, is that they had used long-form storytelling there. These aren't three- or four-issue arcs. These issues, the Medusa arc went on for the better part of like a, over a year, and this one's been going on for a while. Um, and, and to have this kind of long buildup where – I mean, think about This story arc was so long, we've had a couple of interlude books where we go away from the action and we come back to it. And to have a, a story arc that long and then have to you know, just cut the ending up is uh, just really disappointing.
0: All right, so the other bit of news we have is the solicitations were announced on September 9th as well. Um, Among the solicitations, the Batwoman creative team uh, is attached to that, obviously, that issue 26 that will be releasing in December. Um, Outside of that, as far as any other major changes for any of the books, there really doesn't appear to be a whole lot um, all of the current creative teams that are on the books as of right now appear to still be on the books um, going forward. Um, Alex Maleev is on Batman The Dark Knight, but I believe that's actually going to be happening for a couple months prior to that. It appears that Two-Face is going to be coming back to Batman and Robin in issue 26. Um, he is also supposed to be in issue 24, so it looks like he's going to pop back up in that issue. Um, outside of that, all of the other books that are coming out, uh, there is a Legends of the Dark Knight, a hundred page super spectacular, which is really just, it, it, it seems as if it's combining a lot of the previous stories, but the solicitation doesn't actually say that. It says, in without sin, when the disfigured body of a priest is uncovered in Gotham City de- demolition site, all clues lead to Batman to suspend to, to suspect one of his old foes. But in Gotham City, nothing is uh, as it appears. And then there's a whole other story about Harley Quinn. So it seems that maybe they're just combining larger story arcs, and that's why it's so large. I, I am unsure at this point. Um, but that was really the only one. Harley Quinn will get her first issue in December, even though the Zero issue is happening the month prior. Um, and then Batman is also set to appear in some way, shape, or form, whether it be Batman or whether it be a character related to the Batman universe in Just League, Justice League of America, Suicide Squad, um, and then all the other books that we cover on the .5 cast all have their still, they all still have their same stuff going on as well. So, tons of stuff happening. The, uh, first issue of Just League 3000, number one, <laughs> uh, was resolicited for December 4th, um, I don't really understand how that's going to pertain to Batman, but Batman does appear on the cover. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, it could turn into a very similar, similar series as earth two, where it's just telling a completely different universe story of the same characters.
2: One thing that I think is, um, that I'll be interested in seeing how is how two face shows up in Batman and Robin. Because I think that two face is a very, I mean, he's like one of the best Batman villains of all time. But the way they've treated him lately, it's not been bad, but, like, he's been kind of relegated to, like, these kind of cheap mobster stories. And I don't know if we've gotten a really strong – I mean, I don't think we've, we have gotten a really strong Two-Face story in New 52 yet. But, like, even going back to, like, Tony Daniels' Batman run where it was, like, you know, his his stupid wife. But, I mean, um, I, I'm kind of itching for a strong Two-Face story, and I'm hoping that Tomasa can give us one. So, like, you know, in, like, you know, the main storyline – so that would be something to look out for. Um, I, I'm i wondering if, if you know him being in there will have anything to do with you know Robin because it isn't Batman and Robin. We talked about whether Batman and Robin should end or not. But um, that's one uh, story that I'm, that I'm keeping my eye on.
1: I, I You know, I, I like Tomasi as a writer, so I'm, I'm kind of on Donovan's side here. I, I think that he should probably do good with Two-Face. I want to see him do good. I really wish that Two-Face was honestly in the Nightwing book more. I think he worked well with Dick Grayson before the New 52. Um, but in the Justly 3000, I'm just assuming that they'll put Batman on the cover to sell more copies because it's three thousand years down the future or whatever it is. So, All
0: right. So that is actually all of the news we have. Uh, let's move straight into our books. And the very first book we have is Detective Comics number 23.2, the Harley Quinn special. Please
2: Clown, call. call me Harley. Everyone does. Detective Comics 23.2, Harley Quinn and Harley lives. Written by Matt Kent, illustrated by Neil Goosh. And that's the last one be doing that. Okay, this issue begins with Harley is out of the Suicide Squad. She's backing Gotham, kind of flashbacking on her life. And uh, we see a, a brief flashback about how she hooked up with the Joker, how she said to be a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And um, then we see a much elongated flashback uh, in more detail. We see her as a young person, studying to become a uh, setting to become a psychologist, and we see like she had a family with several siblings and a mom and a and dad, and she was actually pretty good at her job, uh, but it, she was actually far too good, and she had no interest in helping people because it was just too easy. So she goes to Gotham City and Arkham Asylum, and starts um, working with the supervillains there, like Two Face and the Riddler, but then she she becomes interested in the Joker. So, uh, to further know what makes the Joker tick, we see her kind of dress up as this goofy character with her hair multicolored and her, uh, face painted. And, uh, Joker, uh, takes interest in this and kisses her. So this basically, uh, kind of snaps her brain to where she felt the excuse to basically let go of all inhibitions and become the true, uh, agent of random chaos that she felt that she always was meant to be. Uh, we see her help the Joker escape, and then he shoves her into a vat of chemicals, which bleaches her skin and changes her hair permanently. So, uh, that's also the, uh, AIDS chemical plant. So, after that happens, we see a bit more of a detailed scene where she kind of wanders the streets and just starts attacking random people and taking their clothes to, uh, assemble the Harley Quinn getup of the New 52, the corset, and the gloves, and the, um, the hot pants, and the, uh, the thigh-high uh, socks and everything. And um, that's basically the gist of the story. Um, we see her reconnect with um, she was, uh, Deadshot at the end, about, you know, there's no Suicide Squad left. And that's pretty much where this issue ends. It's just basically Harley re- recounting on the, uh, the entirety of her life and what she's going to do now that the Justice League is gone and Batman's presumably dead. Thoughts on this issue? This issue is basically like, I think this issue serves as a more, well first of all, um, before I go into anything, is this the first time that, that these details have been this explicit in, uh, Harry's background in Ninja 52? Did they ever explain this in Suicide Squad? Or is this the first time that we know about her history as a psychologist, uh, the way she got her costume? This, this is, this all is new, right?
0: No, so, uh, some of it's actually a retread of what they did last year with the uh, Suicide Squad Zero issue, because last year's uh, Zero issue for Harley or for Suicide Squad actually was an origin story for Harley Quinn. This is kind of delving a little bit more into it, uh, breezing over some of the stuff that they focused on in uh, Suicide Squad number zero last year, but some of it is really just unnecessary. Additives that they, you know, we don't need to see, but I guess if they need to have a reason to showcase her, I guess that's the only way they're going to be able to do it is by giving us a bunch of unnecessary, uh, details that, you know, we didn't really necessarily need to know.
2: Okay. Right, go
1: yeah, ahead. They, yeah, they, they kind of just hashed over this again. Um, th- there were some tweaks to it. Like Dustin said, it was, it was just last year. This is the first time they've done the, um, the origin of the, co- I mean, it's funny because I this is the first time they did the origin of the costume, um, but that was like the most you know we
2: demanded to be told.
1: Yeah, that we were all looking for is where she got the thigh highs from. But um, yeah, no, this is and that was the thing that I feared about villains month, and so far this is the only book that this has really jumped off the pages. That means that we're kind of getting a retread of what we got literally in zero year last year.
2: Oh, you mean the zero issue, not zero
1: year. Yeah, zero issue. Sorry. Yeah.
2: Um. Uh. <laughs> be that as it may. Um. But besides that, the details. The one thing that I took away from this issue is Harley's voice and Kent's voice for her. It's a lot more intelligent, a lot more introspective and contemplative than I've ever seen Harley Quinn be. Even, even like in those um. Uh, Gotham City Sirens issues where she was like sieging Arkham Asylum she was very cunning and everything even this is a bit more this shows up a lot more of an intelligent personality that's still in her mind even though she's a a crazy supervillain now um what were you thinking about? I mean, before I get into like the actual details, what were you thinking about her voice in this issue, her personality? Did you what did you think about the whole? You know, oh, I'm free to be me. I'm free to be totally free of inhibitions and control, and I just act. I don't think, and it's so liberating. What did you thought that aspect of her personality? Did it clash at all with like the personality, like, like her classic pre 52 personality? Did you like it? Did you dislike it? How did you, how did you think her voice was in this issue? And what were your thoughts on? That
0: See, I didn't have a problem with the way her voice was, but I did have a problem towards the end of the issue when we find out you know, I don't have a problem with her being portrayed as a very smart character because she, you know, she did have a doctorate. She was a psychologist, so she has to be a smart to a specific degree. I don't have a problem with her being portrayed like that. What I do did have a problem with though is, you know, they there's this uh little sub story that's happening within the book as she's talking about her origin. And her back history where she has all of these, you know, Game Boy like devices shipped and given away to kids all over Gotham City for free. And basically it's showing that she was able to f- funnel the money to where it needed to go or get the money from wherever it was to pay off this company that was producing these Game Boys. And then in turn, you know, organized this very well-orchestrated, large-scale thing where everybody in Gotham City is getting all you know, these little Game Boys. But the, the, the weird thing is, and the, the, the thing that I had a problem with is, so it's, it starts off with her walking into a police station, um, revealing herself, and then saying that there's a policeman that she she stole his outfit from, or her, his uniform from, is sitting in the back of this car. She then takes a stick of dynamite and throws it to create this ginormous explosion that, you know, hurts tons and tons of people. And then she is later sitting on top of a building as she makes an upload complete for the Game Boy. And then all of a sudden, all these explosions go, go off all over the place. That comes across to me as a, like probably like a thousand times more violent than this character ever was. You know, this is mm-hmm. not the character who could be, you know, buddies with Catwoman and and uh, Poison Ivy and be like the basically the comedic relief for the group, because like that's just cold. I mean, she just killed how many kids these keep in mind, the people who were getting these Game Boys were well, the majority of them were children. So she just has no problem just killing children all over Gotham City. That's a little bit to the extreme. And I had a problem with that.
1: Um, Yeah, I shared some of some of Dustin's concerns about the kind of mass murder of children that she she does in this issue um especially since she's going to have her own ongoing series here in a couple of months um so i mean unless she's going to be straight villain in her series i mean this crime that she was behind here this isn't one that um, to me it seems a little too much for the direction i assume they're trying to take harley quinn is which is going to be an anti-hero uh type way because this is a what is this she kills a couple hundred kids yeah you know, I, I, I don't know when I, when I was reading it. That was the only part of the issue. I, I didn't love the issue as a whole, but that was the one part of the issue which really seemed to be extremely out of character. For her. I mean, she's a bad guy, but think about it. You know, we've had her before in the uh, in the, the Gotham City Sirens, and, and, and we've never seen this level of of mass murder type deal from her. So I thought that was actually the part that was. Was really out of character for me. As far as her intelligence, I mean, she was yeah, she's supposed to be smart at one point, and I, and I do like the idea if she's going to be carrying her own title again, of her having uh, some brains. I think that we don't need a uh, modern Harley Quinn to be a dumb bimbo, but yeah, I think the mass murder was just too much.
2: Oh uh, yeah, yeah, I'm glad you guys kind of kind of brought up on that. Uh, there's several points kind of kind of come at this with. Um, first of all, I think I do think that like her personality is a distinct different there is a distinct difference between her personality here and her personality how it is usually and that is like this sort of like introspective sort of contemplative you know uh persona that she ha- adopts in her inner monologue is very to me it's is very uh dissimilar to anything i've, I've read Harley in and i'm not saying that the character actually the character actually isn't all that stupid she kind of just like once she goes crazy she kind of plays that stupid uh personality but she doesn't have to be like you know a moron even still, like I think the way that like uh, Ken has her in this issue is a bit it, it, there's a there's a bit of a disconnection because she's always talking about you know like first she was too smart to be anything else and she really wanted to get inside these uh, psychocriminals' brains. Um, the origin of Harley Quinn in this version. I'm not – it's one of those things where it's like, you know, again, are they just kind of hitting the beats or are they actually like retelling how this character comes to be because is she even in love with the Joker? Does she even have interest in him or was she trying to get to him just to, to, to further her own – I mean, no. Originally, she was trying to further her own pro, pro, professional career, but like the way that like uh, she kind of dresses up as him or whatever, it seems to be like, you know, part of her psycho psychoanalyzing him. And then like he like kisses her and then all of a sudden she's kind of like, you know, now I can do anything it feels very self-interested in a way that, like, the character isn't really... But then you reach the end of the issue, and she's killing people to get his attention. And, like, part of it is, you know, I want to be free to do whatever, and then part of it's, you know, I want to... Deadshot's telling her that, like, uh... You know the Joker doesn't care or whatever, so she's doing this all for the Joker, and I'm I'm just very confused. Ultimately, I'm not I'm not sure where this character, I'm not sure who this character is actually. Is she somebody who is very smart and just wants to do whatever, or is she somebody who tries to get the the attention of the Joker? And if she is, then why? Because what about the Joker is she interested in? Because a lot of that's very much downplayed. Like uh, the Joker. Yeah, the Joker had, had an integral part in her becoming Harley Quinn, but she's not, she doesn't seem to be enamored with him. She doesn't seem to be in love with him, especially after Death of the Family, where he just basically tortured the crap out of her. And so, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just ultimately very, very confused as to what her personality is. The violence displayed in her personality, again, I mean, we've seen Harley kill before, going back to that, uh, Scotland City Siren story, in which I kind of, like, I, I was a bit, uh, I, I had some trouble with, but like you know, we've seen Harley kill before. That's not a big deal, but like, yeah, this wanton, uh, totally like like uh, disregard for human life that to the to the to the level of calculation that she put here, this like calculated act of murder is like really out of character. It's out of character the character you know just generally, but it's also out of character in the, like uh, what what's the point? Is she does she? Is she trying to prove this to herself that she's so disassociated from everything else, or is she just trying to get this for the Joker, which was never brought up until Je- Deadshot brought up at the end. I mean, the main thing I feel here is a is a very uh, it's cognitive dissonance is what it is. I'm not sure that like Kent himself knew what he was writing for the for the character, or that she's supposed to be like this psychopath, whether she's supposed to be the sympathetic character, whether she's supposed to be this intelligent character who's ultimately amoral. And I felt that there was a lot of things going on here that were like some of them were actually kind of interesting. I actually personally really like the idea that like somebody just has that has loses the ability to care and just does whatever they want to. And I think that might fit Harley well. But when it reaches into like the total other end of the spectrum, it's like what is her what is her ultimate game plan? What what is her what are her priorities? You know what are her goals? What is this character trying to achieve? What is this character trying to accomplish? And it just doesn't feel like. what is her I mean okay when we think of Harley Quinn exactly the joker's fun sidekick who is fun and funny and ditzy and entertaining, and this character is like you know smart and conniving and not e- isn't, she's not even hateful, she's just you know she's just there, and but they, they kind of try to play it both ways and I'm not as much mad as, as I am confused because I think there's potential for an interesting character here that's different than the original Harley, but I don't think that she was very much fleshed out, and I think that's a shame because. It feels it just kind of reiterates the idea that like these these issues kind of just being put out there, um, but it was an interesting start, I thought. Um, so that's that's I mean, that's pretty much all it is in a nutshell. I think I had some more, but like that's pretty much encapsulating what I thought was the main problem of this, the characterization of Harley Quinn and its consistency in its own, you know, in its own universe. So that's all I have for that.
0: All right, so Detective Comics number twenty three point one. I'm going to give a total of two and a half out of five bad ranks.
2: Yeah, (laughs) Ditto, two and a half out of five Batarangs.
1: Uh, I'm going to go two out of five Batarangs.
0: All right, so then over on the website, uh, Joe Pizzalo gave the issue a total of three out of five Batarangs, so that gives Detective Comics number 23.2 a total of two and a half out of five Batarangs. Let's move into our next book, Teen Titans, number 23.1, The Trigon Special. You may have retained some trace of my power but you are still no threat to me, little girl. I am your creator, your master. You exist only to serve me. You survive only because I allow it. What hope can a mere
2: child have of defeating her all-powerful father?
1: Teen Titans 23.1, Trigon. Writer, Marv Wolfman, artist, Kefu. Uh, This story opens up with a trio of aliens contemplating what is evil and the nature of evil. Uh, We then see a more normal version of Trigon than we're used to. He doesn't have the bright red skin or isn't, you know, 12 feet tall. Um, The aliens identify him as evil, and they hook him up to a type of uh, biomechanical machine that's supposed to separate his soul from the evil. Uh, We see that it backfires, and he pulls in all the evil that these aliens had um, taken out of the universe, uh, transforming into the uh, Trigon that we're used to seeing as well making him the combined evil of all the universe in one package. Uh, He gets blasted, uh, I assume by the aliens, into a pocket universe where he cannot escape. Uh, So he brings a female to him, which he impregnates, and then sends back into our universe to have a child. The child is actually going to be him, so she'll be his mom and his bride. Uh, He then begins his conquest of countless worlds, and also impregnates thousands of women along the way. All of them die in childbirth, uh, and only three of the instants survive, uh, which are the three sons of Trigon that we, we've seen in T-Titans. Um, he comes to a world where a, fe- where a female knight wears an enchanted armor. Uh, she can't kill Trigon, but he can't kill her, so they fight to a draw and he flies away, uh, and her armor will be passed down uh, the family line. Uh, Trigon is offering reward to anyone. who can bring him a bride who will survive giving birth to one of his children. Finally, a bounty hunter brings him a female from Earth named Aurelia, uh, she worships Trigon, uh, She and she fears him. Uh, she does survive and gives birth to the female offspring of Trigon that we all know as Raven. And on the last page of the book, we see her begging someone off-panel to help her kill Trigon. All right, guys, I got a couple things here. Uh, you know, this issue is is primarily an story, origin story for Trigon, and I guess to some extent Raven. Um... If you knew nothing of the Trigon character going this issue, if you were just a new 52 reader, and this is the first time you got presented with this origin, would this make sense to you as an origin for a character?
2: No. <laughs> that was quick. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I would say like, it, it doesn't make sense. Well, the thing is I, I do know Trigon from the past, but if, if this was a fresh thing,
0: I would question the point of you know creating an evil character. So I guess none, neither – me neither. Yeah. See, the thing is, I I don't know a whole lot about Trigon. Obviously, we've been reviewing Teen Titans, so I know a little bit about Trigon in the New Fifty Two, and I've and I know of Trigon outside of the New Fifty Two. But I never really knew a whole lot about this character. I didn't. I never really knew a whole lot about Teen Titans in general outside of any of the crossover stories that linked into stuff that was happening in the Batman universe, like Lonely Place of Dying. So I mean. There's there's not a whole lot that I'm aware of of the characters. So I actually was looking at this from the perspective of knowing just what I know from what's been going on in Teen Titans does it does this interest me at all? And honestly, I don't think that I needed to know as much information as they gave me here in this issue and that's the the thing that I'm kind of like eh like I don't really like the idea of Trigon to begin with. It, like, you know, some magical devil creature from some other world or whatever. I don't really understand it. I don't really care. It doesn't make, like, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't interest me. So reading this, it didn't really make me interested in the character anymore. And I really have to wonder how much this character is actually going to play into uh, future issues of Teen Titans because we know the character was just in Teen Titans, but now he's not in Teen Titans, so I have to wonder how much he's actually going to play into it and whether or not this is actually going to encourage readers to pick up Teen Titans.
2: Well, the thing is that, like, again, we, we have another by-the-number-storytelling way of reintroducing a character because, firstly, I feel that the, the interest of Trigon isn't the character himself, but, like, Raven and how Raven is affected by Trigon. Trigon, as a character... Isn't all that interesting. I mean, he's like the, he's a devil, essentially. He's the devil, but he's a, you know, he's a devil in a comic book sense that he's an antagonist that brings hate and death to everywhere he, where, everywhere he goes. That himself doesn't, he's not dark side, you know, whose, whose personality and goals do make him interesting. He's, he's just an antagonist. So when they give up this, I thought the art was really good, but like when they give us this, like, sort of like a Old Testament style story that goes from page to page to page, kind of listing things, and then out of nowhere, there's this warrior character who, you know, can't be killed. And we have no information on her. It kind of dead, dead ends any interest we might have on Trigon because it's like, well, here are, the, here are the things that happened, but the interesting stuff like this character and why she couldn't be killed by him. They're not, you know, they're not really given enough attention. Um, I mean, tri- these, these kind of characters that are one-dimensional and all they exist for is, you know, evil. There's not much to them. You know, that's, that's they're the evil character. There's not much interest in why are they evil there's not much exploration in that he's just you know i'm evil and i'm going to do this and i'm going to do that and again like in my opinion i mean i i'm not a, i'm not a uh i'm not an expert on trigon from the past but i know i know enough that where that like it's not all that different if i were writing the story i would write it more about Orella and you know her whole because she is like you know the human uh uh connect between trigon and raven obviously now again this is this is villains month so you, it kind of has to be about trigon but it's kind of like a you know, d- damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing because while he is a big major char- character, he is and so and how he affects other characters and the heroes. So it's like one of those things where it's like, maybe this was really the best that Marvel Wolfman could have done to reinterpret him because there's not really much you're asking of him because, uh, unless you want to make the character's personality interesting, and spend much time on that, there's not really much to the guy.
1: Yeah, um, I'm kind of in the same boat as you guys are, I, I just, I felt like that if you, if you didn't, and I, I'm not an expert on Trigon by any stretch of the human imagination, but, um, so I was actually looking forward to this issue because we have been reviewing Teen Titans at the point five and I thought, you know, I don't, I don't know that much about Trigon. So this would, you know, serve me as an introduction and I really got super confused and I don't still not 100% sure what happened. And that kind of brings me to my second point which is this story really jumped around a lot. Like like Don just talked about. We got the scene with the warrior princess and then we got the scene where he gets put in the other dimension and then we got Do you guys think that, that, that this book could have been a lot better if we had eliminated some of these subplots? And if so, which parts of the book do you think you could just throw out the window? And don't say the whole book.
0: Well, I'm not going to say I'm not going to say that say which parts are I would throw out. I would say that the problem is that Realistically, the, the biggest problem I have with this story is that it, this is, the tone of this book is so outside of what they've been doing in all the other books. Um, and I'm not just talking about villains, about them, I'm just talking about as an, as the New 52 as a whole. There's not really books that focus a lot on the stuff that this book focused on. Like the Old Testament. Type writing and stuff that uh Don was talking about, that's not really something we see nowadays. That's stuff that we would see, you know, back in the late 80s and early 90s with tons of different stuff. And a lot of that has to do with that this is Marv Wolfman doing the story. But I, I I just have a hard time connecting to the story just because it's so outside of everything that is happening right now. Like there's nothing comparable to this. Teen Titans isn't written like this. So it's very difficult to even comprehend everything that's happening. So I honestly can't say what to throw out and what to keep.
2: Well, I mean, uh, yeah. And again, it's one of those things where it's like, it's kind of similar to uh, introducing Darkseid in the first story of the Justice League comic book. And that like you're using this really heavy, really uh, like legacy-based character into the story like like with with virtually no explanation and when they explain it you have to spend a lot of time building him up i think and it's like yeah trigon is a, is a you know a, is a great titans bad guy but i don't know i mean maybe you, you you really need josh on this one but like maybe like like he's a time but he's a part of his time in the 80s where he could get away with this kind of character it's kind of you know like like, like all all powerful kind of character who infects the heroes or whatever um but like in terms of like what to drop or whatever, I'm not sure that that whole bit about the, the warrior that that can't kill him, I don't know how much that added to his legacy and how much like if you took her out, how much would really be changed? Like who, who, like what what does it do with what, what does it do the story at all now that I think about it? I mean, honestly, you cut that those pages out and you just get to Arella, and I think you would have more of an interesting thing because you could explore, okay, now that she's going like Arella's going to birth uh, Raven what is Trigon about at that point? Like, like is he, does that change him at all? Is he the same? But no, we have this, you know, this, she looks like um, Angela from Spawn. And so it's like, you know, if, if like such a non-sequitur. i would probably cut that out, to be honest.
1: Yeah, and I'm, in the, I'm actually the same thing. I don't understand. They go into this whole thing with this enchanted armor and it's passed down from generation to generation. And then they go on to even tell us that after Trigon leaves that the armor will still keep being handed down. I don't know. I'm assuming that that's going to come back in at some point down the line in Teen Titans, that this armor is going to be important for defeating Trigon. But, yeah, and for, for me, I think we could have cut out the whole uh, scene where he gets knocked into another dimension and then has to bring in the woman that she impregnates, which actually is, I mean, that was, seemed a little, uh, seemed a little over the top. And then the last really, really quick question I have for this is, it seems fairly o- obvious who Raven's mom is asking for help at the end. Uh, I'm assuming it's the Teen Titans, but did you guys have a different take on that that I missed, maybe?
2: I thought it was just like a fourth wall
0: breaking, like, you know, listen okay. to me, reader. <laughs> like, Yeah, that's actually how I took it, too. I took it as, you know, she's asking the reader because she's trying to figure it out. Because I'm pretty sure at some point it was it was implied during the back history of Raven and Teen Titans that her mom's dead. I
1: don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't leave. You know what? It's It's... I didn't read Ravengers, and I think that's where Raven kind of originated in the New Fifty
0: Two. Um, well, there there was a story. I can't remember exactly which issue. Maybe I can pull it up here real quick. The uh, there was a there was an issue that of Teen Titans where it was basically talking about. I think it was twenty two, and uh, basically the team is is going against Trigon. Some of them get taken uh, control of by Trigon at some point. But there's a point in the story where after Trigon leaves where Raven starts telling the, her back history. And as she's telling her, and it's not 22, but...
1: Yeah, I think you're right, though. I think her mom is dead.
0: Yeah, and, and, like, there's this whole big thing where she's giving this, like, big, long history lesson of Trigon and her, her, uh, you know, how she came to be, you know, going against Trigon and all this and that. I can't remember exactly what issue it is, and I'm trying to find it, but it's it's not really working. It's not 21. It's not. It's probably it's probably going back even further than that. It's, it's probably when when she first popped up with the Ravagers in 20. Um, yeah, it is 20. 20. And she basically is is talking about it, and I got it from that issue that her mother was dead. Um, that her mother did teach her love, and that's what made her different than all of the other spawned of Trigon, but I got the impression that she was dead. So I just thought it was a fourth wall break. And she was basically saying, you know, to the readers, Hey, help me because this guy's so horrible.
1: And It is funny too, because I just assumed that that she was asking the teen Titans for help, but it this does fit with the Marv Wolfman seventies, eighties style to kind of break the fourth wall. So I guess that, uh, that makes sense. So that's all I got.
2: Well, isn't it? Um, um, I was listening to the point five cast, uh, the other day and like, isn't Raven a traitor? Wouldn't she be asking, like, you know, you must kill Raven or something like that? I mean, she says she must stop Trigon. No, duh. He's the bad guy. Of course we have to do. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I was kind of like, like, what was the point of this? Yeah, because Raven's the plant
1: for Trigon the Titans right now. She's the one who's going to try to bust up the uh, the group.
2: So that makes sense. I mean, just didn't know about that. Quite
0: possibly. That's the biggest problem when you have writers writing books that they're not normally on. And trying to do stories involving characters that are involved in other stories. All right, Teen Titans twenty three point one. I'm going to give a total of one and a half out of five batterings. I like the art, but uh, I wasn't a huge fan of this story.
2: That was really good. Um, the story was, bleh. I mean, I, I don't think it was. It was. It was better than most lame stories. I'll give it two out of five batterings.
1: I just. Didn't like this issue. It felt like I was reading an issue of Catwoman. Um, I'm gonna. Oh. Give it, I'm gonna give it one out of five. And I love Marv Wolfman from back in the day, but I, I couldn't even hardly follow this. So one out of five. All
0: right. So that's gonna give Teen Titans twenty three point one a total of one and a half out of five bad ranks Let's move into our next book. Batman Robin twenty three point two. The Court of Owls special. Well, did you know that some owls aren't that wise? Don't forget I'm having brunch with Megan
1: tomorrow. Who? Megan, my co-worker. Who?
0: Seriously, you've met her like three times. Who? <sighs> Batman Robin 23.2, written by James the IV, art by Jorge Lucas. Uh, the issue starts off taking place where a, back in eight, uh, 1974, the head of the police department comes home and tells his wife they have to leave town because someone is coming after them because they don't want him to run the town like he did because he started an investigation on the Corvals. It's revealed that a Talon has come to uh, presumably kill them. We then cut to the present day where a member of the Corvals is explaining the history of the Corvals to his daughter. Uh, this is taking place in the uh, current Forever Evil setting where the Justice League is dead, is blastered, all over the place, um, in Gotham City. Uh, she's asking her father how exactly they're going what they're going to do now that, uh, Batman is not around. We then cut to another flashback in 1914 at the Orchard Hotel where the current mayor is talking to a, uh, we find out later, a member of the Court of Owls and he's explaining that he plans to make things better, um, the, guy who owns the hotel explains to him that tomorrow he's going to meet some unions and he has to throw them out and tell them their demands are too high. The mayor says, why would I do that? Uh, I I would only be harming the city by doing that. And he goes, yes, I I know indeed. And then the court of all surrounds him. We find out that he ended up throwing the, the unions out, but the talent still ends up killing him. Back to the present day, the uh, a member of the Court of Owls is taking his daughter, which it seems as if she's, he's taking her down to the labyrinth or like the the roost inside of the labyrinth. Um, we then cut to 1891 where there is a, uh, photog- a newspaper photographer who has taken a picture of the Court of Owls having a meeting. He's telling his wife about it and saying that he's going to go to Philadelphia and sell the photo. As he tries to leave on a train, he is killed and his wife is killed as well. Present time back, they're presuming still going into the the bowels of the labyrinth. Uh, we then cut to 1862 in the Narrows, where uh, we find out that Felix Harmon, a.k.a. the Butcher, as we've seen in the pages of Talon, is killing a number of people just for pure fun. The court goes to him and says, you need to stop doing this because you're, you're bringing too much attention to us. He says that's not going to happen and actually kills the guy that the court sent. Uh, we then cut to present time in the bowels of the labyrinth at the roost where the, uh, court of member is telling his daughter that it's time for them to take back their city for sure. Felix Harmon, AKA the butcher, uh, harmed the court so much, but now they have a chance because they're going to go back to who started it all. Another member of the court actually appears and says, you can't do this. Uh, you don't, th- this is the wrong thing. And, uh that person is actually attacked by the daughter who murders her with a knife, and they proceed to the tomb of the very first Talon. Find out what happens next in the Pages of Talon. Batman Robin 23.2. So this was uh, kind of an interesting story. Um The first thing I want to kind of talk about is... Knowing the, the stuff that's been going on in Talon, this has really little to what's, little to anything to have to do with what's been currently happening in Talon. It almost appears as if it's setting something up for a f- possible storyline in the future within, within Talon. Um, knowing that a lot of the events that were happening in Talon are actually leading to the Forever Evil Arkham War miniseries with Bang coming to raise up an army. Yeah. Um, in Gotham City, what do you think this story's real purpose was? Um, I think that, like, it could just
2: reiterate, because it's been a while since we've seen, like, the his- I mean, barring the pages of Talon, like, the long stretch, the long, uh, reaching history of the Court of Owls. So going back and forth between d- several decades and several parts of the 1900s and showing, you know, how they killed everybody. I think it was just one of those times, you know, to reiterate for villains month like these guys are not to be messed with, not to be trifled with. They can get you at any time. They can get you uh uh when you least expect it and just kind of really hitting home how uh dangerous they are and how deadly they are in uh, Gotham City. I think that was mainly like the point of this issue more so than in, more so than any story building. That's what I took away from it.
1: You know, some are similar to the lines that, that Donovan has there. I, I think that this is an attempt to make the Court of Owls a, a come across as a credible threat again. Um, you know, we've had this kind of weird relationship with the court since they got introduced in, in the original story that, that Scott Snyder did, where they're supposed to be beaten and gone, but yet they seem, still seem to be at, at full strength. Um, I, I think that either they were trying to make the court seem like a more credible threat or this was just a long-winded way to introduce the uh, the first Talon, which I'm not quite sure why the first Talon w- is supposed to be special. Obviously, he's kept in a special standing sarcophagus, but I don't – I mean he should be the oldest one, so I'm not really sure why he's going to be special. But it's either, in my opinion, to introduce the character or to make the court seem credible, um, maybe a little bit of both.
0: Alright, right, and then the only other thing that I really kind of wanted to talk about was, so they they show all these flashbacks of the different characters, and one of them is focusing on Felix Harmon, a.k.a. the Butcher. Um, What's interesting about this is that clearly the Butcher goes against the court. Um, and kills all these people, and is basically like a, a Jack the Ripper type character within Gotham City. To at least the, the the citizens of Gotham City, the fact that he's murdering people all over the place, and the presses labeled him the Butcher. I'm curious to know why they would have. Well, I'm curious to know your guys' thoughts as to why they would have kept this character, even if he, even after he would go against the court and killed the, the court's own members. Number one. Number two. This character has, was brought back despite the fact that he is as vicious as he is and is, has been appearing very regularly in the pages of Talon. So what was the reason they kept this character? Yes, he's, he's extremely brutal, but if he didn't serve a purpose and he could not be controlled, what was the reason for him to, to do that? And then in turn, in the pages of Talon, we don't see him doing these ridiculously murderous acts yes he's in he enjoyed torturing Casey Washington in the pages of talent but for the most part we don't see him randomly killing hundreds of people as it's shown in the, in, in here so thoughts on the butcher
2: again like I don't really I kind of the only way I keep up with talent is by listening to the point5 cast and like I think this this story was effective in getting across the the uh, the the deadly nature of the court of owls, but to do that, it's like they had to show as many people die as they possibly could. It's like if if we don't show people tort- being tortured and killed, then uh, we uh, we honestly don't know what to do with ourselves. So it's like to have the butcher be as, as crazy, violent, and as monstrous in the um, 1800s possible. It's sort of like you know I don't I don't think that it really fits any sort of like. Uh, character criteria, and just you know, like, is, isn't this scary? Isn't this deadly? Isn't this guy terrible? Oh my goodness, he's so powerful. He's the most dangerous. talent. It's like one of those things where it's like you know, they, 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 it's one of those things where you can kind of, like, wow, this guy's a bad. This guy's bad news. That's all you're really meant to take from take away from it. You're not supposed to. You're not supposed to go. Wait a minute. How how does this reconcile with you know, in talent or whatever? It's basically supposed to, for villains month. Villains month to me is like showing you how dangerous these guys are, which is fair. But like to do that, they kind of like I, I I'm getting the feeling from all these styles that they kind of supersede any sort of reason.
1: Yeah, you know, with the butcher for me, I, I think that what we're seeing here is maybe the fact that a hundred years into him working from the court, they may have finally got their dog on a leash. Um, got him under a little bit better control, maybe after they got him juiced up on chemicals, uh, you know, it could be anything. There does seem to be a a severe inconsistency in the way that he's wrote, though. Um, I think that the Butcher was put in originally, and this is just a thought, I don't have any evidence to back this up, was when Bane was in the book, and I think that maybe they were, I'd assume that we were inevitably have a fight between the Butcher and Bane, which we still may get, um, if the court's going to be involved in in the Arkham War. Um, But other than that, He's just like your standard-issue serial killer who's bigger than most of them.
0: Yeah, and the the weird part is, you know, when we were talking about Teen Titans, and I mentioned the inconsistency of the writers, because obviously Marv Wolfman's not writing Teen Titans on a regular basis. Oh, man. This, on the other hand, this is a completely different thing, because Tynion is actually the writer of Talon, and he wrote this. So that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, I can chalk it up as to, you know, it is a flashback, so maybe the character, you know, maybe they did get some sort of control that really would be the only way of being able to explain it. But I I did find it a little weird how, you know, we're getting some information about this character, yet it's inconsistent with what we've seen in the pages of Talon. All right, so Batman Robin 23.2. I'm going to give a total of three out of five Batarangs. rings. Um, it wasn't an awful story. I didn't take much from it.
2: I'll give it three out of five rings as well.
1: Um, I am going to give it three and a half. Just thought it was a little better because it, at least the first talent seems something interesting to do. And if we're going to have to deal with the Court of Owls every month, let's at least make it moderately interesting.
0: All right. So that's going to give Batman and Robin 23.2, a total of three out of five betterings. Let's move into our next book. Batman The Dark Knight, 23.2, Mr. Freeze. He should have been more careful. Now he's paid the price for his incompetence.
2: Written by Justin Gray and Jimmy Palmiotti, illustrated by Jason Masters. Uh, this issue begins over 30 years ago on a very snowy day in Gotham City where you see Victor Freeze's father run out on his mother and him. And so his mother uh, goes up to his room and says, I'm sorry, but... Uh, Screw that guy. Family is the most important thing in the world, and don't you ever forget it. You have to preserve the integrity of family because family is forever. And then one, one year later, we see her sink to the bottom of a, of a icy river. Um, even though we know that like she survived, she eventually doesn't because Mr. Freeze in this story is back crap insane. So this story is, and so, um, this story is uh, told through intermittent flashbacks towards the annual that Snyder and Tinian wrote – which uh, illustrates just how crazy uh, Victor Freeze really is, we see one shot of Batman saying, you know, like, you both, both you and I know that Nora Freeze is not your wife. Because if you didn't read that, is- that uh, issue, uh, yeah, no, she's not his wife. He's just crazy. So we see him in Arkham Asylum interact with this uh, uh, psychiatrist named Dr. Felton, and he's, he's like this, you know, this douche who always is like, you know, oh, you have a love story. He says, I, I looked it up on the interwebs. That doesn't exist, man. He says, oh, well, you know, uh, I'll, I'll give you this newspaper to show you that your father is creating another, uh, a family. Um, would you want to uh, write them letters? And Freeze can see right away this guy's just patronizing him and he doesn't like it because he's angry. So he says, I'll kill you if you're lying, which he knows he will. So it's basically a promise. So once, uh, the, uh, secret society tell the world that the Justice League is totally dead, and um, all hell breaks loose. Freeze breaks out and like gets his revenge on Doctor Felton by totally effing him up, like freezing him and stuffing in letters all over and pretty much in every orifice in his body. Um, and we see it too. So, um, on one of the GCPD uh, bo- uh, boats or ferries, uh, some inmates from Arkham who are cannibals go crazy on some of these. Uh, uh, security guards and, and doctors but Freeze goes out to help this nurse Wilmot because she actually tried to help him and we see his powers as he freezes people by just the very touch of his hand and blowing their faces apart <laughs> like an anime um, so there's some mercy that we see and we also we also know that like throughout this entire time he's expositioning to an unknown person we flash back six years ago to the origin of Freeze where uh, he was uh, hit with the freezing chemicals uh, while arguing with Bruce Wayne and the fight between him and Batman, and the issue ends with uh, Freeze delivering uh, a toast and prayer over a family meal, as we see him reconnect with his family, that are now completely flash frozen. And Freeze has now found family at last. The end. I don't feel the re- I don't feel the need to really compare this to the Harley issue, in that like I felt that the Harley issue offered up uh, offered us a totally different take on the character that I've not been familiar with. You know, not reading Suicide Squad and all. I know Mrs. Freeze has appeared in Birds of Prey, um, and one thing that I've always uh, kind of thought, and I may have said this before, is that like Freeze has been very irrevocably changed in the in the Batman mythos since his appearance in the animated series, the comics are concerned. Uh, compared to that iteration of the character, where he's been very emotionless and, and you know free of emotion and very cold and uh, kind of monochromatic in terms of his actions. In the comics, I've always felt like the character's just gotten crueler and crueler and more hateful. And I thought that like with this origin, he's not only he's on he's not only that but he's also very much insane, to the point where like this whole uh, plot to basically find his family and kill them, to me, I'm not I don't know. I'm, are we supposed to take away from this fact that he's just so? Uh, mired, enraged, and hate that he'll just kill anyone, even though he spared that one nurse, it's again a problem of, you know, what are these characters' goals? What is this issue's goals? Are we supposed to, like, just observe how insane Freeze is and, you know, feel something for that? Are we supposed to marvel how... Is he sympathetic at all? That he was denied a family because his, his daddy ran out on him? Um... I don't know. I, I I don't like this because it feels like it, it feels like it's it's trying to do something in a very kind of like meandering way. Like for some reason the the doctor is a, is a douchebag that we're not supposed to like and we're supposed to like you know kind of laugh at when he dies. But why is he that in the first place? Why can't Arkham hire good good doctors? You know why why uh, why is half the issue a flashback in the first place? Is that really necessary? Um, because we did thing last last year. Why is it that Freeze kills his family? Like, you know, where is his father in that scene? Do we know where he went? Um, What do you guys think about all that? What do you you think about the plot of this issue mainly? Like the whole point of him locating his his family? Why did his father have a a new family when he ran out of his old one?
0: How does that make any sense? Thoughts on that, please. Okay, so the way I took this was his father left because of whatever reason. It, It obviously wasn't explained. He just left. You know, that happens obviously all the time all throughout America, so it's not a, hu- that's not a huge surprise. You know, maybe his father then years later matured and decided he was going to have, you know, he wanted to have a family for real. And like Victor actually says, maybe he did go back and try to find his old family and then he couldn't find them because they moved and they weren't where he left them. So he decided to start a new family. It's entirely possible. I'm fine, I'm fine with that the idea of him saying you know this whole like underlying theme of family is forever and him being upset because his mother left him and it wasn't forever because she left him and then that, so you you you're brought to believe that he is upset because he has no family left yet when he finds out he has family all he want all he ends up doing is killing them like it doesn't make any sense. It, you know, what was the whole point of him being so upset and being, or what was the whole point of the writer showing us that Mr. Freeze was so upset when his mother died and making a big deal about, well, family isn't forever because she didn't, she died and she left me. If then he has the opportunity to have a family, but then he decides that to kill them anyway. I mean, yes, it could have been out of spite because of his father, but I, in in a lot of ways, I, I doubt that. So, that that aspect of it I di- didn't make any sense
1: i think uh, that this type of story with mr freeze is the inevitable conclusion of what happens when you change his origin um, i mean you know in the new 52 he's no longer the um, wayward scientist who's who's trying to help his wife i mean if if you're in here's my problem if if you want to have a, a character that has compassion to him that a, a villain that you kind of feel sorry for then I don't know why they bothered changing his origin in the first place. I mean, the, the fact that the stuff with Nora when she was his wife and in the, in the pre New Fifty Two made him kind of a, a villain that you could have compassion for. So I don't know why we replaced that story that had such history with it. With you know, his mom fell on the ice, and I mean, I, I don't know. Um, I just don't like. I, I just don't like the changes to the character, and I, I think it translates very, very poorly here. Um, and the plot was kind of meandering and, and all over the place. And then the, the the deal with the frozen family at the end, I don't know why he wants to find him just to kill him. Um, yeah. I mean, it just seemed a little all over the place to me.
0: I will say on, in defense of um, the, 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 the change of the origin with his mother falling through the ice and that aspect that wasn't necessarily this writer's problem. That was actually, they were using information that Scott Snyder did because Scott Snyder told the origin story of Mr. Freeze in that first annual for Batman. And that was also somehow the link of, um, the, the, uh, him getting the chemicals spilled on him to end up becoming who he was because of Wayne Enterprises. Now, the one thing that I do find interesting amongst all of this is last week with the poison Ivy, um, origin story, somehow her origin is also created by Wayne Enterprises. Um, Mr. Freeze's origin is created by Wayne Enterprises. So someone eventually is going to beg the question of, is is Batman and Bruce Wayne good for Gotham if Not again. half of the villains that are being created are from Wayne Enterprises?
1: Plus, can you imagine what their workers' comp got to be like at Wayne Enterprises? I mean, if you go to work there, you got like a one-in-ten shot of becoming a crazy supervillain. Yeah. I mean, it's it's... It's brilliant, and, and I do take your point that it wasn't this writer, you know, that did this. It was Scott Snyder who changed the origin. But and that's kind of why I was said, you know, this is the inevitable conclusion. If you make Mister Freeze a, you know, a non compassionate uh, backstory, someone's going to try to give him one again at some point. And I think this is what this was going to happen in one form or another after Snyder changed his origin.
2: Yeah, I didn't like this because the thing about it is that like when you change, I mean, I. I didn't like, honestly, I did not like the change to Freeze's origin because it went from a very interesting and layered character who was emotionless, but yet you you could not help but feel empathy for, to a guy who was insane in a way that like yeah, it sucks that like he's insane, but like that's about it. He's just crazy. He's no different than Captain Cold, and it's like when you when you just expound upon that, that's that's all. It is some summer its parts. He has no reason. To you know, he, he, we have no reason to be invested in him, honestly. Just because he's Mister Freeze does, does should not earn us our interest because he because he is different. You know, it was a, it was a good story told last year, but ultimately, if you're going to change his very good, his very interesting origin, because when a a villain loses somebody and become or if somebody loses somebody in a Batman story and becomes a villain, that provides a very interesting dynamic for Batman to go up against. You know, for obvious reasons. Now he's just—he's he, just a guy who wants to turn everything. He—he he just freezes everything because he's very mad because mommy left him. How many of these villains are gonna have mommy and daddy issues in the new Fifty Two? Did Gail Simone like basically hold a writers' conference saying you must do this for every every single villain? I mean, this this is getting old for me. Like, you know, my, my mom fell into the ice and I, I dipped her in again. Like, I just want to—I mean. Seriously, what was the point of freezing his new family? Like, like, if they inserted some sort of dialogue that, like, you know, frozen is forever or, you know, the ice is perfect or whatever, then we can understand why he would want his family frozen because he sees that, I mean, there is, is that, that's an aspect of the original character. Like, you know, he sees beauty in ice. He sees it as uncompromising. He sees it as, as totally, like, totally perf, he sees it as perfection. But no, he just uses it killing here. There's no real, I mean, he's cursed with the, the ice ability, but, there's no real reason for him to have a nice motif besides his biology. So he just goes out and kills these people for dick all reason. And it's like, do you think about these things when you put them down on, in the comic book? Like, do you, what is the point? What, is, what are his goals? Why is he doing this kind of stuff? You know, he has all these like, like these pointless joy on platitudes about, you know, oh, you say I'm so obsessed. You clearly fight for personal vengeance, Batman and, and the ice is, you know, this and the ice is that they don't really mean when you start to read them. They don't mean anything. They are just, you know, it's fancy dialogue sh- shown in there to provide a, a service level uh, sense of uh, layered c- complexity. And it's just, it feels pretentious, and it feels like the writer doesn't know what he's doing.
1: You know, it, it, th- my problem is with, it, the same problem I have with this issue, or this character now as I have with Harley Quinn, is they're, they're taking the characters that were unique. And Harley Quinn and Mr. Freeze were both unique characters before. You had Freeze's backstory with his wife, where you legitimately felt bad for the guy sometimes. And we all remember like Heart of Ice on, on Batman the Animated Series. And then Harley Quinn, who was always this kind of, Quirky, fun-ish. I mean, there was obviously some dark... Like you said, we saw her kill in these things, but not like just... You know, and, and, they're, and they're taking these characters that are very interesting and unique and turning them into characters that aren't interesting or unique. They're making them just like every other villain, which I don't understand why you would want to take unique characters and make them non-unique.
0: And, th- and that's that's the biggest problem, is the fact that almost every character is having the exact same type of origin. You know, they've ha- they had... You know, they either had a troubled childhood and they, something horrible happened to them, freak accident, and then they became who they are, or it's, you know, they had a, they, they had a decent childhood and then they're, well, I, pretty much, I, I hate, to, I don't even think that's true because at this point, I think every villain we've read about outside of Trigon has had, in some way, shape, or form, a horrible, Mommy and daddy is why, yeah, that's why they are the way they are.
1: Well, and more than that,
0: they they had
1: a bad childhood, and you, something you just said on a little while ago, Dustin. They had a bad childhood, and then they all went to work for Wayne Enterprises, you know. And then <laughs> something crappy happened to them at work. I mean, it's. <laughs> i mean come on you know it's like mom and dad hated them they, they, they got born in gotham mom and dad hated them they went to college they were really smart seriously these are all the same they went to work at wayne enterprises something bad happened that bruce wayne was personally involved in and now they want to kill batman
2: and I no mean, like their most uses are pointless now i mean why exactly I mean, okay so harley quinn is a, is a gesture because of the joker but like you I mean she she blows up game boys she, she she uh Beats people Blue Bats. Freeze Freeze's whole freeze Freeze motif is not at all a reflection of his, of his emotional state or his mental state or his character. It's just a means of to kill people. It's like these characters aren't supervillains, they're just they're just killers. They kill, 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 kill. That means they're bad, everybody. It's like, can you think of nothing else? Like, there's no and, I, and, I, and I, I'm repeating myself, so I'm going to stop here, but, like, there's no depth to these characters. It's just, you know, you know we need to know that that, that Batman needs to be t- t- tougher than them because they kill people, and that means they're bad. Even though they have no purpose, they have no point, they have no goals, and there's no intelligence into writing what they're supposed to be about.
0: I'm done. So, Batman the Dark Knight, number 23.2, I'm going to give a total of 2.5 out of 5 Batarangs. One.
1: I'm going to give it two, because I did like some of the art.
0: All right, so that's going to give Batman the Dark Knight, number twenty three. Point two, a total of two out of five batarangs That brings us to our last book, Batman 23.2, The Riddler Special. Riddle me this, Riddle
1: me that. Who's afraid of the big
0: black bat?
1: Batman23.2, written by Scott Snyder and Ray Fox, art by Jeremy Hahn. Uh this story opens up. Uh, four years ago in Arkham Asylum where we see a guard taking away the Riddler's playing cards and telling him that he will be sleeping without sheets from now on. Uh, then we're back to the present day and outside Wayne Enterprises where we see a flash mob that Riddler has organized uh, protesting against, uh, against Wayne Enterprises. We see the Riddler use a variety of tricks to get through the security of the building and he dons his mask as he enters the elevator. Uh, we then cut to the central control hub of Wayne's security and they have also noticed that Edward Nigma is in the building, and they know that he is the Riddler. Uh, We see their computers are taken over by him uh, with some riddles pop up on screen uh, before we cut to a scene of him taking down a security guard with an electrical blast as he continues to make his way through the building. Uh, We then see a member of security run out of the uh, central control room chasing after the Riddler and says that he knows where the Riddler is headed. Um, The Riddler finishes off some tasty blueberry yogurt and fills the empty cup with a bomb, and then blows a hole in the wall. He enters the conference room, grabs one of the staff who he needs to use her uh, her handprint to access the executive elevator. Uh, one of the other female staff members tries to stand up to him, and he takes her down with his uh, electrified cane weapon. Uh, the riddle then makes his way to the elevator, up to his old office. I'm assuming, which is his old office, where he is confronted by the security guard uh, who went out of the went chasing after him. And we see that the security guard is none other than George Leslie, who is the who was the Arkham Guard we saw at the beginning of the story, taking away the Riddler's playing cards. Um, The Riddler lets him know that the whole reason he came to Wayne Enterprises was to get even with him. Uh, After a short fight, the Riddler uses some type of uh, improvised explosive device to blow off the man's right arm, and Riddler tells him that he blew off his right arm because that is the one he touched him with. Uh, We then see Riddler make his way to the roof, where he sits down and plays Solitaire, and wonders if the rumors are true, and if he'll ever see Batman again. All right, so that is the summary here, and I guess the first question, which is kind of going to be all-encompassing for everyone, is, you know, this is the Riddler performing an act of of pretty pure and simple revenge, to be honest with you, and the question is, do you think that this kind of revenge act is something that's in character for Enigma?
0: Well... As far as the revenge goes, you know, if you look at the character of Edward Ingma, I guess before New 52, there really wasn't a whole lot of revenge. Oh, I'm going to go after it. Now, again, somehow this character also used to work at Wayne Enterprises. Now, that didn't happen in this issue. That happened in Batman Zero here. But there's another character that also happened to work at Wayne Enterprises. I just want to make sure I pointed that out. Um, the... The the weird thing about this is that okay, so the story was created with Scott Snyder. Scott Snyder didn't write the issue, but he inputted ideas for the story, and it was carried out as what we saw. But the thing that I I am not really understanding is outside of what the the few appearances he's had in the last couple of issues of Batman. We had the, we had him make an appearance in Batman, uh, Death, Death of a Family, where there was, he was in one of the backups when he was locked in Arkham Asylum, and then he was also in the main story when Batman was, was, uh, tied up inside of Arkham Asylum when Joker tied him up, and it was Two-Faced Penguin and Riddler there. Now, the weird thing about this is that no one that, well, it was never really determined that, hey, Riddler's out of, out of Arkham Asylum to begin with. Clearly, they're, they're, they're trying to get this character as far away from possible as the, oh, he could possibly be on the, you know, he could possibly be a PI, or, yeah, PI who gets hired by the police to do certain investigations, like they had him pre-New 52. They're trying to get these characters, it seems like all of these characters, as far away from possible from their, their, their origins and their characterizations that they were before the new 52. This character, you know, I don't really have a problem with him going after revenge, but I do have a problem because I don't think that, I, I don't recall that many stories where Riddler does something as violent, not so much violent, but as gruesome as chop a guy's arm off because this guy touched him. <laughs> So again, we're taking we're taking these characters to like a higher extreme. Like, same thing as Mr. Freeze, same thing as Harley Quinn, like I'm seeing a repetitive nature here with a lot of these characters where somehow we've gone from Riddler being this person who's all about using his mind to I'm going to chop a guy's arm off because he touched me. Derp, 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 derp. Yeah, uh, I think R- R- Riddler is totally capable of revenge. I think that he's
2: a character that's very much haughty, very much self-interested, and very much has a uh, an uh, an air about him where he feels better than other characters. So I don't think revenge is out of is out of uh, line at all. Chopping someone's arm off is just again, it's more. It it, it I don't want to just harp on the same thing again, and again, because it's because because then I'll be to become a whining fanboy. But the reason why we bring this up is that because the characters haven't been shown this way before. And, like, really? You're going to chop someone's arm up because they touched you? I mean, okay, he's crazy. We know Riddler's crazy. But, like, it just makes the character uncomfortable. It makes him unsavory. The, the character just doesn't need that, ultimately. That's the whole point. The, the, Riddler doesn't need to be doing that. He doesn't need to be that dangerous or that stupid to be made memorable or effective. You know, his brilliance and his cunning are what is interesting about the Riddler, not his ability to chop someone's hand off. And and I know that wasn't made to be a point, but, like, come on. It's like... I would like to know someone's thought process is doing that. And, like, no, I don't, because I actually have an idea about it, and I don't care for what I think it might be. So I didn't like that either.
1: Yeah, and, you know, let's think, too, that the Riddler, before the New 52, went through several bouts where he was a little more heroic, that he was a private investigator, that, I mean... So he was never this kind of, um, you know, arm chopper. I don't know, dismember man. I don't know. Uh, this 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 type of over the top violence. I, I think that I could see him doing uh, revenge, and I could see him maybe, but, but not chopping the guys off, arm off. I would see him more like setting him up to go to jail, or you know, something that involved using his brain. Um, again, Riddler is is the guy who I, I I could see doing it, but I just thought that the way they did it was. Plus the blinks he had to go to to get in the building alone. I mean, couldn't he caught the guy at his house or somewhere not inside the most heavily secured building in the world? According to him,
0: well, that, that, that well that wouldn't have been as fun. I mean, they're trying to get across that you know he is always looking for a challenge. He's always looking to you know they've they've he's gone from the super smart guy to he's now you know the super you know he was in Scott Snyder's I think it was it, it was the I think it was the backup the, in, during death of a family where, uh, Batman, or Riddler is actually, he says that he's, he knows like, you know, 23 different ways to break out of his cell because he's so smart. So he's turned from the guy who, you know, has got this, you know, this fondness for riddles and is constantly trying to basically best Batman intellectually to, He's become an escape artist. He can break into anything because all he because they're, they're basically maximizing his powers of his intelligence. They're going to use his intelligence for everything possible, and he'll be able to do anything so in this regard they, they've taken the revenge to the extreme because he just so happens that he works in this building, which would present a nice challenge. Now that's not to say that the the characterization's bad. I don't think it's horrible. I, I think just that one aspect of him deciding to cut off that guy's arm is a little extreme.
1: Yeah, no, and and, and I, I agree that I don't think that the characterization is, is, is awful. Uh, and I probably enjoyed this book. This is the book I enjoyed the most out of the stack that we had to read this week. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, but this is, we do get to see like a really modern story here. This isn't one that even has, I mean, it's got that very, very tiny flashback on the front page setting up the guard. Um, but we don't get really an origin story here or anything in the past, would you guys have rather seen because Riddler's is one of my favorite characters would you have rather seen something out of his past or would you no, like the more modern uh,
2: story? I, I, I've had my fill of you know whiny mama stories from these villains which he only could have been
0: you know, I don't know that I would want to or need to see anything from his past but this is one of those characters where his past really hasn't really been explored ton it's not like well it, it has freeze but like, like not and, not repeatedly yeah but that's the thing like with harley quinn and mr freeze their origins or their re their reimagining as far as like mr freeze goes was all within the last 20 years so the fact that we've had to do it completely over again within 20 years that's the problem riddler you know they might have you know talked some stuff but there's not really like there's not a you know batman mad love for riddler there's not a you know killing joke for joker you know or for riddler there's it's not like that there's there's not really a story out there that's really like the definitive you know riddler's origin story i mean there's riddler stories and there's there's talks of his past and realistically he's never really come across as the character that needs a lot of explaining because besides the fact that he's he likes riddles really there's nothing like unique about him to the point where like his skin's not white he doesn't look abnormal like some of these other characters he doesn't have some sort of deathly disease so i mean like there's not a whole lot of explanation that needs to happen but i think that realistically i think that this even though it would have been nice i i think it's a it's a breath of fresh air for the fact that we have seen so many of the exact same type of origin stories of all these other characters especially with some of these characters that don't didn't need to have another one so soon
2: I mean, I think that, like, uh we, I think the Riddler has, I mean, the origin stories in post-crisis have been interesting, but, I mean, obviously we, we want to change it up for the new story. Um, but, I mean, I, I didn't want any of these villain stories to be just origin story, origin story, origin story, which a lot of them, and, which, which I guess a lot of them only can be, but... Um, yeah, uh, honestly, yeah, because of the issues we covered today. If I had a choice, I would I would rather just keep keep this story rather than you know like oh, oh when Eddie Nash was in 12th grade, his father you know you know cracked his skull with a uh, a giant question mark or whatever you know. <laughs> I, Jesus Christ! I don't know. No 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 oh, no 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 that, no that's, <laughs> that's that's a lot more likely than you know not unlikely, but like I I, I rather I rather keep it in the here and now than just you know piss and moan about you know. Why mommy didn't hug him enough, and then why he became, you know, a serial killer or something?
1: And, and I I agree with with Donovan on the case that oh, wow. if we were going to get another mommy hates him story, I wouldn't have wanted to see it either. Um, the Riddler is the one character that, and again, I I, I like the story. Again, I had a pop from the dismemberment, but I really like the story as a whole. But um, you know, my thing is Riddler is the one character that I am curious to know more about his past in the new Fifty Two. Uh, again, hopefully, it doesn't go down the lines of how so many of them have gone down. Um but yeah this was the one this was the one character that I was really looking forward to seeing some of his past. So I was a little let down that we didn't get it. Um
0: and Well you know the thing is we're probably gonna end up seeing that in Batman Zero. Movie. That's true. And I was like yeah. they didn't do it. No that like makes Batman so, that Zero that makes sense. Year is is Riddler your one.
1: <laughs> yeah no and that that does make a whole lot of sense. Uh and then the kind of this the last little point I had about it is why does he bother to put his mask on when everyone in the city knows the Riddler is Edward Nigma? I mean, what's I the point of wearing the, the mask?
2: I think that's a, like a sort of a totem thing. Like you know, he feels like himself when he has the mask on. I I just imagine that. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure of the given reason, but like. That is, that's an explanation that like they've been kind of pulled with characters before in the past. Not just a really black, like, you know, other characters. Like, I, want, I need to be with this top hat must be on my on my head or else I'm not who I am or something like that. You know, it's like it's like Rorschach and Watchmen. It's like, oh, my face kind of
0: thing. All right. So, Batman 23.2, I'm going to give it 12, 3.5 out of 5 betterings. I'll give Batman 23.2 3 out of 5 betterings.
1: I'm going to give it 4 out of 5. I really liked it.
0: All right, and over on the website, Joe gave it 4.5 out of 5 ranks, so that is going to give Batman 23.2 a total of 4 out of 5 ranks. That is all of our books. Let's get straight into our listener Q&As. We do have two. The first one is from Dave. He says, Hey guys, great show as always. I wanted to add a comment to a discussion you had in episode 123 relating to the future of the Batman Robin title. Why not bring in Tim and make it a Batman and Red Robin book permanently? It would be a way for, to bring Tim back into the Bat family line of books without having to create yet another title, while also flushing out his dynamic with Bruce in the New 52, which has really yet to be explored. The only way, the only other way I see this title working would be to tell out of current time stories of Batman's earlier adventures with not only Damien, but also Jason Todd and Tim in their times as Robin. That would give us some nice history for the relationships in the new 52 while also giving the creative teams the freedom to tell whatever stories they please without having to worry about whatever crossover events Scott Snyder slash DC are putting on at the, at the time. Keep up the great work. Great to be catching up with the events here. Finally. All right. So, um, the Tim Drake thing could work. I mean, there's, there's, that's definitely a possibility The the concern that would lead me to wonder about, would be the fact that in Tim Drake's pretty prominent in the pages of Teen Titans, and yes, it's entirely possible for Tim Drake to be in Teen Titans and to be working side by side with Batman, or solo in his own series, because that's happened multiple times in the past, so it's not unheard of, but the way DC is right now, I, could, I, I would honestly say I would never see that actually happen. And the reason being is because DC has it seems they have this odd way of they don't want characters outside of the main seven heroes that are part of the Justice League really appearing in multiple series unless it is some sort of crossover or some sort of um, not not crossover, but sort of like a, a cameo role Um if you look at all of the different characters outside of what's been currently happening with Batman and Robin with hit there being like a guest appearance by a, uh, a different character every single month for the last five months outside of that there really hasn't been a whole lot of characters popping up in other books on a regular basis you know we see a lot of these characters even before death of a family which you know is the reasoning for a lot of this we see a lot of these characters working on their own not really working side hand in hand with batman or hand in hand with any of the other members of the bat family for that matter at this point they're all just a member of a club and they meet maybe once a year and that's whenever scott snyder has got a crossover
2: yep um i think that like go search go further <laughs> Batman Robin could be, uh, a title that, like, showcases Batman's partnership with all the past Robins in the new 52. Like, you know, what was it like like being being with Dick was like being with Jason was like being with Tim. You know, and show those goofy costumes. And it would be, he's like that, you know. I think, you know, it would be a bit hard because if you were to do it in present time and have him team up with Tim, it'd be, you know, oh, we need Tim in the the Teen Titans story. Like, why can't he, you know, he'd be beaten up by, uh, on it because he's powering around with Batman. But that's the thing, though. It's like, when Damien, now that Damien's gone, is there really a point for Tim to not be Robin anymore? I mean, I'm fine with Tim not being Robin, like him going past that role. But really, the only reason that he wasn't Robin anymore was because because Dick made Damien Robin behind his back. So it does pose the question as to why Tim isn't with Bruce anymore. But anyway, um, I think the way to do it is sort of like, if there must be a Batman and Robin title, make it, you know, stories from the past in the New 52 of Batman... Uh, and Robin of the different mantles.
1: Yeah, um, I think that I would much prefer, and I don't care. I, I kind like of like Don's idea of having a mix up. Either you could even keep it in continuity, do a do a story with Nightwing and then with Robin, and then one with Red Robin, and and you know I, I would like that. Um, but if they're just going to start, because like, I know we got Two Face, and the next one's Carrie Kelly, uh, they need to just either either come up with a direction for this book or shut it down in my opinion. And, and I like the book. I mean, I think Tomasi has been really good in the book. And if it was up to me, I would shut down Batman and Robin and give Tomasi the dark Knight. But that's just my thoughts.
0: All right. And then the next comment we have comes from Alex. He says, awesome episode. I thought it was hilarious. The way Dustin described how bullying can change someone into a telekinetic psycho. I hated the issue. And it was the final kick I needed to get me to drop anything by Gail Simone. I barely got through it because it was so repulsive. I was surprised to hear how positive you were on the Joker issue. I read a lot of comments bashing it. Thought I missed a lot of things because I enjoyed it. Your explanations on the flashbacks made me like it even more. This week's The Riddler was my favorite so far. I like Ray Fawkes' characterization of Riddler much more than Scott Cyrus because it seemed he had a bit more fun with the character. I realized that I shouldn't get any issues of the villains because i really don't care to see their origins that way i can just use their old origins and retcon in my mind whatever doesn't work i highly doubt i'll be getting a better origin for harley quinn than mad love and i know enough about the court of owls no matter how good the issue is i'm sick of hearing their influence on in gotham scott signer's court of owls was great and i don't like seeing it watered down what are your thoughts on the way the villains have been handled so far in the New 52 and how much has Villains Month influenced your opinion? Well, I, you know, we, we talked about this, obviously, th- a good chunk throughout the entire episode while we were talking about some of these books. But a lot of these characters, you know, somehow are linked to Wayne Enterprises. Somehow they all have horrible childhoods. Like, you can't have a villain that doesn't have a bad childhood is, is the basically the, the opinion that I'm getting outside of the Court of Owls. And Harley, but uh, you know, she's like an exception.
2: Um, I, I almost want to pass on this question, but you know, I, I got to be honest that like, uh, not, not to say that every single issue I've read it has been crap, but I'm not sure what I was expecting with villain villain's month. I think I was I was expecting what we're getting in that they're basically like these chances of these villains to do horrible things while also serving as like you know half of it being an, an origin issue. And I suppose that's all you really can do if they're going to be one shots and not ongoing tales. So, um, I mean, because I wasn't really crazy about the idea in the first place, because I didn't think that DC was currently in a need to show to showcase their villains, really. But for what it is, you know, it's 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 about what I expected, you know, which I'm not really mad about because I had low expectations in the first place.
1: You see, um, I think that. I've enjoyed quite a few of the Villains Month issue, not just the Batman ones, because I'm actually reading every Villains Month issue. It's a long story. But um, here's the, the problem. I, I think that we have the same problem this month as we have every month, to be totally honest, which is there are some titles that are wrote really well and are really, really good, and there's a bunch of them that are just crappy. And I don't know how you fix that unless you get 52 really good writers for 52 really good books. Um, but I think that my biggest problem has been the inconsistency. Um, I, I don't like, I don't ever like putting stories on hold. So that drives me nuts, but, um, I've kind of enjoyed this as a whole. I really went into it with a far more negative, negative spin on it. Um, but there's been a handful of books that have been really, really good. So I've liked it as a whole. All
0: right. So that's all the listener Q and A's we have. I, I do want to bring up one other thing. That's, that's more of like an editorial type thing. And that's why I wanted to save it until after listener Q and A's. But, uh, Last week, this is the weekend of uh September 7th and 8th, Baltimore Comic Con happened. Oh God. And Dan Didio was present. <laughs> oh, here we go. Let's do this. <laughs> and D- Dan Didio was present and this was he, he before the panel even started, he addressed the controversy that's been surrounding Batwoman. And Tom Perenyi who uh is the host of t- uh the Batman Universe Taking Flight. And uh, he wrote up an article because he was at Baltimore Comic Con about this entire situation that happened. Um, so you, if you're interested in seeing Tom's take, I suggest that you take a look at the article. It's under comic editorials. Um, but the, the thing that I want to specifically talk about is Dan Didio said that they're very proud to have a gay character in the title, and they're still proud of having the character be gay but they didn't want the marriage not because of any homophobia on their part, but because in their mind, superheroes should not have happy personal lives. And then he went on to say that every member of the Batman family cannot have happy personal lives. They have to have reasons for putting on the mask, and when they put on the mask, they need to be concentrated on that and not worrying about their happy personal lives. Oh, and by the way, Aquaman's so, not married. Yeah, so as it turns out, a ton of characters that were previously married, as we know with the new 52, there was a lot of changes. Some of them, uh, you know, their marriages were broken up. We're talking the flash Superman thing, characters like that. But then the other characters that we would have assumed all along were married, like Aquaman and Mira, they're, they're not married, even though they are the king. queen of. It's <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, it's just, so, so here's the thing that I want to talk about. Okay. I want to specifically talk about this idea that the bat family can't have happy personal lives because this plays into kind of the stuff that we've been talking about for months on the comic cast and the 0.5 cast, various different occasions. We've been talking about this numerous times about the fact that a lot of these books are extremely dark, that there is no, there's no fun in these books. And you know, the, a lot of the books have become a lot more violent than, than they were before the new 52 And a lot of it has to do with the fact that they are so dark, how they are so, you know, they're they're not fun. They're not, there is no happy points. And there's also a lack of them spending time in their personal lives. We've seen just recently, we saw in the pages of Batgirl, Batgirl have a whole issue where she wasn't Batgirl, but that has little to do with her actually being Batgirl because of a whole situation that's happening with her and her father, but that was the first issue that we got out of all of the Bat books since the very beginning where the character wasn't in the costume the entire book. Um, and now that's not to say we can't have a, a issue where, you know, it's sporadically, you know, she's, they're in the costume, they're not in the costume, and they have personal lives, and we see, we've seen that here and there, but for the most part, there is no personal lives for these characters. And, uh, the, you know, there's, like I said, there, there's some things here and there that have happened, but the majority of stuff that, was a very common thing happening before the New 52. Uh, you look in the pages of Robin or Nightwing or, more specifically, Stephanie Brown Batgirl, their personal lives were a big part of the book. But now with the New 52, their personal lives are almost non-existent. And I honestly am, I, now with Dan DiDio saying this, I really am believing that the reason why we are seeing such, so little personal life aspect of these characters is because no writer actually wants to give them ridiculously horrible personal editorial mandates. So I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on just this idea that they they cannot they cannot have happy personal lives and how that could or could not affect the characters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you want my thoughts?
2: Um, okay, Dan and Dale, who I, who I, who I've met before. You, I'm sorry, you do not know what you're talking about. If you think that like. A miserable personal life is going to make uh, an uh, entertaining comic book. I mean, you don't. I'm not. Go- I, I usually go to go to the, to the uh, redundant well of going like, oh, well, in the '90s, Nightwing or in the '90s, Robin. I'm going to go to Batman. You know, the dark character who loves being Batman and hates everybody. Okay. Uh, we had and uh, we had uh, Batman and Detective Comics and Shadow of the Bats and eventually Legends of the Dark Knight. Uh, where we see Batman. Four titles of just Bruce Wayne being Batman. None of those were over, overtly dark or, or pessimistic or, or violent or whatever. You can have stories with dark characters like Batman and not just be this, you know, this sewer of, of despair and depression. I don't understand why he – I mean, we're not even going to get into the marriage stuff because that's just a, a quagmire of sad. But, like, where does he, where does he think that this, this is appealing? I mean, the point of the Bat family, them specifically – is to not be Batman. Dick Grayson is not Bruce Wayne. Tim Drake is not Bruce Wayne. His entire series... I mean, yeah, he, he's, he's he's a light like, like Bruce Wayne, but he's not Bruce Wayne. His entire series is pointing that out. Barbara Gordon is not Bruce Wayne, because she'll tell you that all the time. Like These characters cannot be like Batman. Their personal lives separate them from Batman and keep them from being Batman. That's how they have their own costume personas, because Robin is not like Batman. Nightwing is not like Batman. Batgirl is not like Batman. Why do you think people enjoy these characters? For the diversity. The diversity of the characters. That's why we enjoy the Bat Family in and of themselves, because they are different. But they all have similar traits of Batman, which keeps them entertaining. What po- this A better question would be, what positivity could come from them not having a, a, a pleasant personal life? And I'm not, I'm not saying they need to be happy, happy, happy all the time. But to flat out say, we would not give these characters... Um, you know, anything other than a sad person, life because that's what, that's what they need to be. It's like you don't know how these characters work. You you, you don't. You don't. That's 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 the nitty gritty of it.
1: Here's the sad truth of the whole thing. <clears throat> some of it's comical. I mean, some of the statement is literally almost comical, especially when you start referring stuff like kings and queens aren't married. That's just stupid.
2: The hell.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just ridiculous. So I'm not even going to really go there. But I'll put it like this. Tim Drake was an immensely popular character before the New 52, and now he's a miserable bastard, and nobody seems to like him. Barbara Gordon had more fun in a wheelchair than Mm -hmm. she does now. Think about that. She was a more fun character when she was paralyzed from the waist down. That's ridiculous. Every time they introduce a character that's a love interest now, what happens? They die. Let me just look at it. One leg. Ricky looks like he's dead from Batgirl. We got Natalia and dark Knight. She's dead. Got thrown through the bat signal. I mean, uh, from nightwing. Yeah. I mean, it's making it. And the problem too, is it, it, it's, it's, it's making where the stories aren't as much fun because the second you meet a love interest, the only thing you're thinking is I wonder how many issues to their dead. you know? Um, so there's, I just, I don't understand this. And, you can't be negative all the time. Listen, we all obviously like some sort of our storytelling to be a little dark and brooding, or we wouldn't be as big as Batman fans we are. Okay, mm-hmm. just, that's that's fine. But the problem is, is like it's always it, it's to the point where it's just dark all the damn time. You know, it, it can't. Everything can't be bad. Nobody's life, even people that have crappy lives, are bad every minute of every part of every day. You know, I mean, I don't know. To me, it's just. It, it, it just doesn't make any sense, and I'm not sure why you would, why you would have an editorial. I mean, can you imagine having an? I mean, you don't have to imagine because it it's actually happened. But do you have an editorial mandate that we want all of our characters to be miserable all the time? That's stupid. What the hell. I mean, that's could you? I mean, can you imagine how we broke it to him? Okay, guys, new fifty-two coming. Just remember, motto: miserable twenty-four-seven. We good? I mean, come on. It's just,
2: it's dumb. The thing about this, though, is that like it makes total sense when you read the books. I mean, like, I mean, oh, yeah. the, you know the hilarious thing, and I, and I read this on Newsarama, is that, like, you know the Green Lantern core with, like, the different cores, like, you know, the Blue Lanterns and the Yellow Lanterns and all that stuff? The Blue Lanterns, which represent hope. Apparently, hope is dead in the DC Universe, which I, when I read that, I, I cracked up, which I thought that was hilarious because it actually puts a continuity aspect on it. But the thing about this is that, like, the, I know there are some fans out there who genuinely like Batman because he is a dark character, but that's not why I like Batman. Batman's comp- Batman's will and his conviction and his compelling nature makes me like him, but that doesn't always necessitate the stories and the character to be grim dark all the time. And it's got to the point now. Like, I mean, like, I mean, I didn't like it before the New 52 happened. I thought it was too dark then, but now it's, it's just farcical to where, like, I mean, every comic we read, somebody had something had either, either was was brutally murdered or you know had a limb chopped off. And these are characters that, that have different origins and different personalities. And I mean, granted they're villains, but like. The fact is, we can't go a single issue without somebody getting shot or dying. Is like hilarious.
1: Even, and this is gonna sound like retarded, but even the Joker and Harley can't have a happy life anymore. I mean, the whole point of Harley Quinn for forever was that she was madly in love with the Joker and would do anything, even if she knew it was wrong. And now they've broken up too. You know, it's like so not even not even the villains can stay together anymore. It's just, I don't understand why, like. There's all kinds of time I see stuff happen in comic books, regular literature, at my office, for Christ's sakes, where I disagree with what's, being, what's going on or a decision, but I understand why they made it. You can listen to and go, okay, I wouldn't do that, but I can see why you would make the steps. I would be curious to what Dan DiDio did, read, or thought that made him think the best thing. for, And sales is his primary concern, and I understand that. But I'd be curious to see what information he received that says sales numbers will be better if all of our characters are miserable all the time.
0: I think I know what it is, though. No, no, I know exactly what it is. It's the box office return for Chris Nolan's Batman films, and how you take the dark, you take the character, you make it extremely dark. Look at the character in the ba- in, in the Batman films. What happens every time he has anything good happening in his personal life? It but goes he's not off. this. Like, and in the happens, movies aren't that dark, though. They're they're not that as stark. But I mean, think about it. Dark Knight. Uh, his his one love that he's gonna give up the the mantle of Batman to be with is murdered.
2: No, no, I mean I I, I, I see mean, what like, you're saying, and, and like the the Nolan movie, I don't, and I don't mean to interrupt, him, I apologize, but like the Nolan movies did give a, a sense of 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 darkness that I think was alien to a lot of mainstream Batman fans. But my, but my point is that, like, it's hilarious because even then, the movie still had senses of humor. Like, Ed said it before, there's still scenes of humor. Batman, hell, has a sense of humor. And although they are dark overall, they are not nearly as pessimistic and negative as the comic books have become. Um, I was only going to say, like like, I think that's part of it. I think also is the fact that, like, DC... For the longest time has been like the safe company that don't take as many chances as, I mean, you know, in terms of the comic fans have don't, don't, don't take as many chances as Marvel. And I think that like Dan DiDio and a lot of the other, I don't want to just lay it at DiDio's feet, but like a lot of the other editors at DC, most of them now who come from Marvel back when it was bankrupt are taking like, you know, we, we need to change how people think of DC. We need to change how people think of our characters, how, th- how they think of Superman. So we need to make them grimdark. We need to, you know, not, we we need to not make them goofy. Get away, get the gay underwear out of the way, you know, keep, uh, keep Robin dead because nobody likes Robin, you know. We can't have Dick Grayson live with with Batman because that's too gay. And it's just, we, we need to get away with all the stupid stereotypes that people made fun of DC. You know, the one person who didn't read DC because DC had its own fan base that they've gutted since because they've torn them away so they can impress new people who aren't there. That's all it has to come down to: impressing people who don't know anything about DC that, that aren't reading the books anyway.
1: I mean, I don't want to belabor this point, but I think it's fairly obvious the way we feel about it. Um, and I wish that someone would seriously. I wish someone—it's going to take a writer to actually call up the Dito and someone like Snyder or Jeff Johns and say, "This is from a narrative point of view, this is stupid."
2: Jeff Johns is not going to do that because Jeff Johns is part of the problem.
1: I know, but you know what I'm saying? It's going to take—it takes someone with some swag. To go Because yeah. it's it's obvious that if you disagree with them, they have no problem in you leaving the team. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, the, the Batwoman creators, uh, they were absolutely brilliant. And, and that's why I can't... And what I don't understand is the type of hard-line thinking. Like, you're either with us or you're with against us. That's the way children think.
0: Right. Yeah. And the, the whole thing is that this all stemmed from the fact that they're... That, you know, he brought this up. Dan DiTio brought this up because people were convinced that... It was either they were they didn't want the gay marriage in the book, and so he's 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 saying no, that's not the case. What we don't want is people with having even stupider. <laughs> yeah. And and that that, does, that makes even less sense because then in that regards, you're taking a creative team that has been doing a successful job, create uh, critically and financially for the company, and telling them, sorry, you can't continue doing what you've been doing because you're 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 going to do something that we don't want you to do. So take a hike, you know, join the unemployment line, which I know, I know J.H. Williams isn't going to be doing that. And J.H. Williams has been, hasn't been super vocal about his, uh, you know, problems with this because he's wor- currently working on the Sandman story, doing the art for the Sandman story that they announced back in 2012 at, at Comic Con. But, you know, it, there's a lot of it that just comes across as like, this, this doesn't make any sense. The, you know, I, I, I'm starting to wonder if maybe, Greg Rucca left when he did because they, they started, you know, feeding him the lines of maybe this stuff's not going to be able to happen. And Williams was just late to the party because he didn't take over the writing duties until they, they were going to actually start this series. And then they were like, well, we'll see what, what happens. And they had no intention of marrying them. So it wasn't something that they had planned in the first 12 issues or in the first two years of the book. So it wasn't something that they were concerned with. But then when it came up, it was like, no, we can't do this. It's like, there's so many different things that they could do with a character having a relationship that actually was a legitimate relationship instead of just for a story arc. There's so many different things that they could do. And the fact that, as, as Tom brings up in the, the, the article that he wrote, the fact that Kate would be marrying Maggie and Kate would then be a cop's right. wife... That, that, that there's story there. And then at the same time, Maggie, knowing that Kate is, is in a Cape, she's got to worry about her. So it's, there's like a huge thing that you could be exploring with that, but why bother? And also. You know, just because they're married doesn't mean they have to have a happy personal life. How many married people have happy lives? Dude, life? like, not only that, I, I know you guys
2: married, which is funny, funny, but like, this, this is also getting into like Spider-Man territory, because I mean, the, the big thing in 2007 was when they destroyed the Spider-Man marriage between Peter Parker and Mary Jane, which fans are still dying over. And like, the, the hilarious thing is that like, Dededea went as far as to confirm that like, Aquaman and Mira are not married, but they are together in a relationship as King and Queen. What kind of sense does that make? Who? So many times they say that marriage, you know, makes people unrelatable because it's a happy ending or whatever. Who out there has ever said, "Thank God Aquaman is single"? Now I can relate to him more. Who even cares? Well, but, but it also explains why, why why we've not seen Elongated Man and his wife back. Why we've not seen Hawkman and Hawkwoman together. Why we've not seen Jay Garrick and his wife together. Why Alan Scott's gay boyfriend was killed immediately. Like it, it all. It all does actually add up.
1: Well, yeah, but it adds up because it's but it's idiotic. I mean, it, listen, the whole Aquaman Mara thing is, it, that's just so stupid. I mean, she's a queen, for Christ's sake. You don't become, like, when when, when a real-life king, like, say, the King of Jordan or the King of England or whatever, is single and he's dating someone, she's not the Queen of England. She's the king's girlfriend, right? I mean, <laughs> just think it through, and I don't Kate know.
2: Wilson, and, well, Kate Millicent uh, wasn't the queen when she was dating uh, Prince William. until Yeah, she was Prince William's
1: girlfriend. You know? I mean, I just... It's stupid, and again, it's, it's very childish the way – listen, I, I, I like a lot of people in this world, I'm sure. I have disagreements with people above me and disagreements with people below me all the time where I work, and almost never does it result in somebody quitting their job. Just you disagree and work it out, and DC doesn't seem to want to work it out. You have all these guys quitting. Like, I can't believe it. If you have talent that's writing a good book like that woman was and they're doing a really good job, instead of you parting ways, just sit down and meet in the middle and work something out. This kind of absolutist thinking is retarded done yeah
0: and that's the problem there is no middle ground it's it's you know dc's high road or no road at all all right so with that uh i do want to remind you to head over to the website for all the latest news related to movies tv video games merchandise and of course the comics as well you can also check out our twitter facebook and youtube pages for all the latest news and videos from the batman universe as well as join our facebook group to chat with other Bat fans you can leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And you can, of course, leave your comments in the comment section below the podcast. Or you can email us at podcast at TheBatmanUniverse.net. With that, that is the end of this episode. This is Dustin. This is Donovan. This is Ed. And you've been listening to The Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys next week. Yeah, we will see you next week because I've been to what's still going on.
1: Don't
2: be happy. Yeah, exactly. Don't worry, be sad. How am I sounding right now? Sound fine. Okay, last night apparently there was some, there was like a loose wire or whatever. So, just making sure that I sound okay.
1: In your brain or in your microphone?
2: Well, who knows? <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, boy, she's just become like a female Joker. Honestly, I mean,
2: oh god.
1: Maybe she'll cut her face off.
0: that would be cool. No, it wouldn't. <laughs>
2: We lost Joe, or we lost Ed. <laughs> I always say we lost Joe because Joe's always getting lost. I'm here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's, it's so ridiculous. You realize that, right? I mean, oh, I, really, I, do, I <laughs> When that when that when that thing came out, I about like I, I didn't get mad. I, I, well, I got mad, but like it was just like this. This is this is more stupid than than wrong. What,
1: it's, it's almost comical, because they were trying to defend themselves from the whole gay marriage thing, right? But if you like just break down his quote, what he basically said is, we're not against gay marriage, we're against happiness. I mean, every time I read a comic book, I'm like, God damn, I need a drink. You know, this is awful. Yeah, it's like, I, I, I don't know. And Gail Simone is like the one driving the truck on into unhappy land. You know, I mean, I don't know. I,
2: it's, I can blame her now anymore, because you know, it's, it's a constant you know, uh, editorial mandate of of pain like you know this girl (laughs) was once was once depressed but she got no no no. in the regular continuity she was paralyzed but then she but then she was cool for like the next 20 years she was fine you know she had some problems here and then but she always got past them now it's like she was paralyzed but now she can walk again but she can't stop thinking about it (laughs) bc brown's like like blacklisted out of this company
1: you're like whoa whoa this chick she's fun yeah we're gonna
2: (laughs) you guys gotta do you guys gotta do an aftercast about this about what? Like uh, uh the, the you know, like like DC can
0: never happen. Oh, the happy <laughs> yeah. lives. It's, it's, it's perfect for it. Well, because it it is perfect for it. But uh, the problem is, I don't know how we're going to be able to fit it in with doing one of these every single week. We might have to hold it off till next month. But it is something that should be done.
1: Have a nice day.